Welcome to Biblical Tapestry. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. Today in this 29th episode in the book of Daniel, now in chapter 11, we continue to review Daniel's final vision, including more of the angel's explanation to Daniel. This includes prophecies about Persia and Greece and great, amazing detailed information about the Greek kings of the south and of the north. We will start in Daniel chapter 10, verse 21. So we'll start in Daniel 10 because verse 21 is part of verse 1 in chapter 11. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against these princes except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. Now I will tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth will be far richer than the others. By the power he gains through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a warrior king will arise. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided into the four winds of heaven, but not to his descendants. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled because his kingdom will be uprooted and will go to others beside them. The king of the south will grow powerful, but one of his commanders will grow more powerful and will rule a kingdom greater than his. After some years, they will form an alliance and the daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to seal the agreement. She will not retain power and his strength will not endure. She will be given up together with her entourage, her father, and the one who supported her during those times. In place of the king of the south, one from her family will rise up, come against the army, and enter the fortress of the king of the north. He will take action against them and triumph. He will take even their gods captive to Egypt, and their metal images, and their precious articles of silver and gold. For some years he will stay away from the king of the north, who will enter the kingdom of the kingdom, king of the south, and then return to his own land. His sons will mobilize for war and assemble a large number of armed forces. They will advance, sweeping through like a flood, and will again wage war as far as his fortress. Infuriated, the king of the south will march out to fight with the king of the north, who will raise a large army, but they will be handed over to his enemy. When the army is carried off, he will become arrogant and cause tens of thousands to fall, but he will not triumph. The king of the north will again raise a multitude larger than the first. After some years, he will advance with a great army and many supplies. In those times, many will rise up against the king of the south. Violent ones among your own people will assert themselves to fulfill a vision, but they will fail. Then the king of the north will come build up a siege ramp and capture a well-fortified city. The forces of the south will not stand, even their select troops will not be able to resist. The king of the north who comes against him will do whatever he wants, and no one can oppose him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land with total destruction in his hand. He will resolve to come with the force of his whole kingdom and will reach an agreement with him. He will give him a daughter in marriage to destroy it, but she will not stand with him or support him. Then he will turn his attention to the coast and islands capture many. But a commander will put an end to his taunting. Instead, he will turn his taunts against him. He will turn his attention back to the fortresses of his own land, but he will stumble, fall, and be no more. 
In his place one will arise who will send out a tax collector for the glory of the kingdom, within a few days he will be broken, though not in anger or in battle, and we will stop there. That's a lot to cover, and you'll see why as we get into this. All right, back to the last verse in chapter 10, and the first two verses in chapter 11, they're a continuation of the same thought. Verse 21, However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princes, except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. Now I will tell you the truth. Well, here, Michael and the angel that is interpreting were supporting each other, with the interpreting angel, likely Gabriel, but is unidentified in this passage. The interpreting angel stands to support Michael in the first year of Darius, after Babylon was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. This would have been the year 538 B.C., or two years before this vision. It is clear that active conflicts are happening in the spiritual world, especially when these turnovers of these great empires were happening. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought. They could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So we see how important Michael is as an archangel. So there was an obvious intense spiritual battle in the first year of Darius, or Cyrus. They're one and the same person. Since Michael, the prince of the Jewish people, was involved, then this conflict must have concerned the Israelites and their fate in the new empire. Remember, in the first year of Darius, the Jewish people were allowed to return to Israel. Regardless of the conflict, the will of God was, and I would say still is, being accomplished. And then from verse 2 onwards to chapter 12, the angel's description of the future events are given to Daniel in incredible detail, and we will see that. Leon J. Wood asserts in his book, The detail of this history as presented provides one of the most predictive portions of all of Scripture. As this angel, he now describes the introduction, Now I tell you the truth. Now where was this truth coming from? It was coming from the book of truth that is mentioned in chapter 10. This book of truth was just a cookbook, so to say, what the future was going to do, what was going to happen. All right, let's pick up at verse 2b through verse 4. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth will be far richer than the others. By the power he gains through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a warrior king will arise. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his descendants. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled, because his kingdom will be uprooted and will go to others besides them. Well, this warrior king that is coming is Alexander the Great. Alexander would bring down the Persian Empire, the one that was just coming into global power at the time of this vision. Alexander the Great, the warrior king, was the first to rule the Greek Empire and bring it to control most of the known world. After he conquers most of the known world, Alexander then dies in Babylon, apparently of some kind of fever, 
in 323 BC. Now, as soon as Alexander dies, the kingdom is divided into four sections by four of his generals. We see that in this verse. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided into the four winds of heaven. Now, this, again, was among Alexander's military commanders. Alexander had two sons, Alexander IV and Heracles, and they had both been murdered. So as the scripture states, none of the kingdom went to Alexander's descendants. This division would inevitably lead to conflicts between all of these Greek commanders. The Greek empire would not be as powerful under these divisions as it was under Alexander. As in the end, the scripture says it will not be the same kingdom that he ruled because his kingdom will be uprooted and will go to others besides them. Verse 5 says the king of the south will grow powerful, but one of his commanders will grow more powerful and will rule a kingdom greater than his. Now, we will focus on mostly the kingdom of the south and the kingdom of the north. The king of the south is referenced as Ptolemy I Soter. He ruled from 323 to 285 BC. He was the ruler of Egypt in that area. He had been a highly capable commander under Alexander. The ruler over the Babylonian area, the Syria area, became Seleucus I Nicator. He is the king of the north. He was a lesser general under Alexander. However, there was a guy named Antigonus who took over, seized Babylon, and Seleucus had to flee to Ptolemy Soter in Egypt. Then he would become one of the Ptolemy commanders. So he was one of a commander under him. Antigonus was defeated in 312 BC, and Seleucus returned to rule his northern kingdom in Babylon. His return, or in Syria, his return greatly increased his power, and eventually he would control more territory than Ptolemy. This would inaugurate the Seleucid era, which included Babylonia, Syria, and Media. And they would set up a headquarters near Syria. Now this will become the largest, this northern kingdom will become the largest of all the divisions of the Greek Empire. Verse 6. After some years, it will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to seal the agreement. She will not retain power, and his strength will not endure. She will be given up, together with her entourage, her father, and the one who supported her during those times. Well, Ptolemy I dies in 285 BC, and his son, Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, comes to power in the south in Egypt. It is interesting that this tradition holds that Ptolemy II instigated the translation of the Hebrew Bible to Greek, what we now call the Septuagint. There was tension between the north and the south. Ptolemy II makes a treaty with the north, now being ruled by Antiochus II Theos, who ruled from 261 to 246 BC. He is the grandson of Seleucus, and under the terms of the agreement, Berenice, Ptolemy's daughter, would marry Antiochus, the king of the north, to seal this alliance. Then her son would become heir to the Seleucid throne. However, Antiochus was already married 
to a very powerful, influential woman named Laodice, and she murdered Antiochus, Berenice, and the child she gave birth to. Again, it says, after some years, they will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to seal the agreement. She will not retain power, and his strength will not endure. She will be given up together with her entourage, her father, and the one who supported her during those times. Laodice then ruled as queen regent during her son's early life, her son's early life. Her son will be known as Seleucus II Callinicus. Verse 7. In place of the king of the south, one from her family will rise up, come against the army, and enter the fortress of the king of the north. He will take action against them and triumph. One from Berenice's family line, which would be her brother Ptolemy III, Eurgetes, who succeeded his father in Egypt, in retaliation for his sister's murder, attacked Syria with a huge army. Now, this war lasted from 246 to 241 BC. The Seleucid capital at this time was Antioch, and Ptolemy was able to capture and loot the city and apparently execute Laodice. Verse 8 He would take even their gods captive to Egypt with their metal images and their precious articles of silver and gold. For some years he will stay away from the king of the north who will enter the kingdom of the king of the south and then return to his own land. Well, Ptolemy seized gods and other valuables and took them back to Egypt. And this included Egyptian artifacts taken by the Persian king Cambyses in 524 BC, so a couple hundred years earlier. Now the native Egyptians gave Ptolemy III the title of you are Getes, which means benefactor. Ptolemy then made a peace treaty with Seleucus II in 240 BC to be able to then concentrate his conquest on the Aegean Islands. I hope you're still hanging in there with me. All right, they we're covering a lot of history with these amazing prophecies. In verse 9, it is best to consider the subject the king of the north when we start looking at these verses and we have to look at verses 8 and 9 together which leads to the context when it says that, that the king of the north came into the south apparently this was a brief invasion that did manage to push Egypt from Palestine and put some of that in Seleucid control for a short period of time verse 10 says his sons will mobilize for war and assemble a large number of armed forces they will advance sweeping through like a flood and will again wage war as far as his fortress. Well, Seleucus II dies in 226 BC, but his sons Seleucus III Serranus and Antiochus III the Great continued the war against Ptolemy. Seleucus III was then murdered after a three-year reign and his brother Antiochus III came to power. And it was this time where Palestine came under his control, and this sets the stage for the horrible events to come. Verse 11, Infuriated, the king of the south will march out to fight with the king of the north, who will raise a large army, but they will be handed over to his enemy. In response to Antiochus III, Ptolemy IV Philopator, who ruled from 221 to 203 BC, he launches a counterattack. This was a battle between huge forces 
nearing 100,000 soldiers on each side. Massive armies. When the battle ended in 217 BC, Ptolemy had won a great victory at Raphia near Palestine. Verse 12. When the army is carried off, he will become arrogant and cause tens of thousands to fall, but he will not triumph. Well, Ptolemy was not a very good winner. He brutally slaughtered many thousands of the northern kingdom's troops. Yet Ptolemy, his superiority here was very, very brief. Verse 13, the king of the north will again raise a multitude larger than the first. After some years, he will advance with a great army and many supplies. So, approximately 15 years later in 202 BC, Antiochus III again invades the south with a huge army. This happened just after Ptolemy IV dies, and his young son, between the age of four and six years old, becomes king. So they want to take advantage of that. Palestine again falls back into Seleucid hands. The fortress at Gaza falls to the Syrians of the north. Verse 14. In those times, many will rise up against the king of the south. Violent ones among your own people will assert themselves to fulfill a vision but they will fail. There were Jewish people who fully supported Antiochus III. The violent ones refers to people who fought for Antiochus. The fulfilling vision that they're talking here about to fulfill a vision may be this very vision that we're talking about here that was given to Daniel and explained by the angel. And it was recorded. This probably was the time just prior to Ptolemy armies being defeated and the insurrection among the Jewish people then was violently put down. Verse 15, Then the king of the north will come, build a siege ramp, and capture a well-fortified city. The forces of the south will not stand, even their select troops will not be able to resist. So General Scopus engaged the Syrian northern kingdom forces at the Battle of Panaeum near Baneus, which in time will become Caesarea Philippi. The battle occurred in 199 BC, and the Ptolemy armies were soundly defeated, and the general, General Scopus, captured while being under the siege in the city of Sidon and the Phoenician coast a year later. So Scopus engaged the Syrian troops. He was then captured while he was taken uh, where he was taken uh, to be in the city of Sidon. And so that was the fortress, the well-fortified city that they built a siege wall against. Verse 16, The king of the north who comes against him will do whatever he wants, and no one can oppose him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land with total destruction in his hand. With the defeat of Egypt, Ptolemy, all the Ptolemy defeat, Antiochus III takes complete control over all of Phoenicia, and Palestine. The beautiful land, which is Israel, will be under the complete control of the northern Seleucids. This sets the stage for the reign of terror from Antiochus IV Epiphanes. They have the power to destroy this area. When Antiochus IV takes over, he is initially welcomed into Jerusalem in 198 BC, but 23 years later, this will become a horrific time in Jewish history. Verse 17, he will resolve to come with the force of his whole kingdom and will reach an agreement with him. 
will give him a daughter in marriage to destroy it, but she will not stand with him or support him. So backed by Antiochus's army, the Syrians, Seleucids forced terms on the Ptolemies, on the people of the south. Antiochus gives his daughter, Cleopatra, to Ptolemy V as his wife. Antiochus thought that this would give him control over Egypt, but Cleopatra loved her husband more and supported all of the Ptolemy causes. Verse 18, Then he will turn his attention to the coasts and islands and capture many, but a commander will put an end to his taunting Instead, he will turn his taunts against him. Well, now comes the beginning of the end for the northern kingdom, an end for Antiochus. A new power is rising in the world. Antiochus wants to consolidate his power by militarily controlling the coast and islands of the Mediterranean. However, the Roman government takes exception to this effort. Lucius Cornelius Scipio was sent to counter Antiochus. The Romans, with some Greek allies, attacked at Thermopylae, forced them to withdraw to Asia Minor, then followed them and defeated Antiochus's army in Smyrna in 190 BC. In 188 BC, the Romans then forced a treaty on the northern kingdom, on the Seleucids, that included territory surrender to the Romans and included some hostages that the Romans would take, one of those being Antiochus IV, and that will loom large against Israel. A heavy fine was included that they had to pay to the Roman government. Verse 19, He will turn his attention back to the fortresses of his own land, but he will stumble, fall, and be no more. Well, after returning to his own country, Antiochus was murdered by an angry mob of his own people. What he had done is he had pillaged the temple of Zeus to come up with some artifacts to help pay for the fines imposed by the Romans. And the crowd took exception. Verse 20. In his place one will arise who will send out a tax collector for the glory of the kingdom, but within a few days he will be broken, though not in anger or in battle. Well, to the successor of Antiochus III was Seleucus IV Philpator. He ruled from 187 to 175 B.C. And who, as the prophecy states, had sent a tax collector, Helodorus, Heliodorus, I should say, I know I was going to blow that, to collect money from Jerusalem, including plundering the temple. He was prevented from plundering the temple, by a frightful vision of mighty angels. Now Seleucus IV ruled about ten years, and he was murdered by this very same Heliodorus, who poisoned him as Heliodorus wanted the throne to himself, and he possibly was assisted by Antiochus IV Epiphanes for the same reason. I appreciate you hanging in there as we cover a lot of just amazing prophecy in in its absolute detail. I hope you enjoy the season two study in the book of Daniel. In our next episode 30, we will continue with Daniel's final vision, looking at the prophecies concerning Antiochus IV Epiphanes. God bless you today.
and I encourage you to spend time in God's Word. Biblical Tapestry does have a Facebook and Instagram page. I ask you to look that up. I encourage you to please like and share this podcast if you have gained from this study. God bless and be well.